0: Welcome to the Trinity Reformed Church Podcast. To find out more, check out our website at trinityreformedkirk.com That's trinityreformedkirk.com What do you do when the world you thought you knew seems upside down? When the holidays, you remember it as a child, are not celebrated. In fact, they are denigrated. And other holidays raised in their place. That was the situation in England during the 1640s. The king had been overthrown and parliament ruled England. When they outlawed the celebration of Christmas, a man wrote a song called The World Turned Upside Down. It speaks of how the people no longer could, not just under, mentally understand, but could not comprehend what their government was. They could not see why, for many of them, the church that they had grown up in was restricted in its practice. And they were missing the man whom the majority of the people considered their father. Because the large majority of the people in England at the time did not want anything to happen. Later on, that very king would be killed. One of the first examples of post-Enlightenment regicide where a monarch is killed because, well, it's just not good to have this father figure there. This song was a lament on the disjointed nature Of society. Now whether or not you would agree with the politics of the 1640s doesn't really matter because that's not where we live. We can say there are some really disjointed things about society right now. The Jews of Jesus day were in a similar place. They were displaced and had been for many years. Sure they were in the physical land Roman rule was firmly entrenched. Their hopes, their expectations for Yahweh's kingdom come to earth were ebbing. And then along comes a rabbi. Rabbis were common back then. But this one was proclaiming the kingdom of God was coming, but it was not going to come through violence nor through political favors. He taught how men could walk with God and with their neighbors. He calls upon his followers to do things like love your enemies. Walk in piety towards God through giving, praying, and fasting. And and that was not, well, loving enemies was, was somewhat abnormal. But the part about giving and praying and fasting, that was pretty normal. Except it's not just something you would do outwardly because you have to make it look good. It's something that, was, that should come from a heart that's cultivated towards piety to God and love of your neighbors, even those unpleasant neighbors. Hopefully you don't know what it's like to have unpleasant neighbors. But if you do, Jesus has a lot to say about that. Then Jesus, in this passage we read, calls upon his followers to use one particular weapon that he had mentioned before, and that's the weapon of prayer. We're we're accustomed in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 17. We usually cut it off at 17, even though Paul didn't say, I'm I'm done talking about the armor now, I'm going to move to something else, in verse 17. He didn't say that. He's talking about the spiritual armor we have. You know, be strong in the Lord. We're all familiar with that passage. But after he says to take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, then we usually in our mind, we put a stop there. We say, okay, uh, paragraph break. Time to move on to something else. Now he's going to talk about the internal stuff again. But that's not the way he outlines it. He says, praying always. Right after using the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication. This is a message, an important message. He calls upon the people to pray as a way of establishing, of going to war on behalf of God's kingdom. He specifically asked a prayer for boldness to proclaim the word. So the prayer we read this morning is without question the most famous prayer in the world. It's been prayed by God's people for the last 2,000 years. This prayer, and I'm not exaggerating in the statement I'm about to make, this prayer has stopped armies, moved monarchs, established nations, and defeated satanic realms ever since it was prayed by the Lord Himself. And when you pray this prayer, you are joining the saints who are calling for God to turn the world right side up. It may look upside down, but this prayer is our participation with saints everywhere for God to do what only He can do. No amount of power given to no person or oligarchy or any group can make the world a right place. People have been trying that. You see the 20th century, you see how much death and destruction came to different places when a ruler would say, I've got the answer to your problems, just give me the power. Sure, it would work quite well for about 15 people while they're slaughtering millions. So that doesn't happen. But. This prayer is not just for all those other people. It's not just, God, will you, please, will you please deal with him and her and them and this nation and that city because they're all really, they're bad people. It's for the world, yes, but the prayer is also for us as individuals. And in fact, when you pray this prayer in faith, you are asking God not to start with, all those people, but you're asking him to start with yourself. To begin his work in the world by overhauling you and me, the individual. God's kingdom does not come the way that we might like, it comes from saints who participate in the work of loving God and loving our neighbor. It's millions and millions of small, obedient acts that cause tremendous change over a long period of time. He begins by addressing God as our Father. This claim, our Father in heaven, is a claim of relationship, of honor, and of submission. The way we view God the Father affects not only us, it affects the entire culture in which we live. In a culture that has no respect for fatherhood, you will find chaos. You will find people who are confused, not just about fatherhood, but about everything else. Because if you, think, if you bring a child into the world and that child has no authority at all, has no one to say, this is right and this is wrong. If, he, if there's no exercise of godly authority over a child, what will that child be like? There's an old, actually an old Twilight Zone episode for those of you who appreciate Rod Serling's Twilight Zone back in the 1960s about a child who had such power that anyone who crossed him, he could, ma- he could destroy them. And so this child was raised, well, barely raised. <laughs> he was allowed to do whatever he wanted, and he was a tyrant. That's what happens when there's no authority. We, we, we see a society ha- who has no respect for fatherhood, who has, there's no honor of fatherhood. And fatherhood does not begin with men saying, Me, man. You, family. I speak. You do. That doesn't work. Authority only comes by first submitting to authority. And that's where the prayer begins. Our Father. It begins with me saying, God, you are the Father and I am your son. I am your daughter. It means a relationship of submission. And it is only in submitting that you can exercise the gift of authority that you have or one day will have. Calling Him the Father in heaven doesn't mean our Father who's way up there, who's in the sky. But it means He is the Father who abides in heavenly places. No man has seen God at any time, Scripture says. We've not seen God the Father with our physical eyes. But He is the one who reigns both in the earth, in the part that we can see, but also in the invisible realm. So if it helps you in thinking about this... think he is the God of what we can see and the God even more of what we cannot see he reigns everywhere simultaneously and when I say even more of what we cannot see the, the, the things that affect us are not first and foremost flesh and blood referring back to Paul in Ephesians 6. But principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this world, spiritual wickedness in high places, and that's just the bad side. But don't get stuck on the bad side. As Elisha told his servant, there's a whole lot more up for us than there are with them. That's also the invisible part. So He is our Father in heaven. And then He exalts, Jesus exalts the name of God as holy, hallowed be your name, set apart, sanctified. While He is our Father, He is also the perfect one from whom all good things proceed. There is no frailty. There is no commonness with Him. He is not the biggest and baddest of all humans which is often how we think so when we're thinking about what he does in the world we think well he's powerful meaning you know he could mash this person so why doesn't he? but, but, but he's greater than that so, so, so don't allow God's goodness as our father to overturn the fact that he is not just the top of the food chain which is often how we think of him, but he is the one who created the food chain. He is the one who rules, he has governed all things, who has set all things in place. So as we set as we exalt him as our Father and as the perfect holy one. Jesus moves to the request of both spiritual and physical. He prays for God's kingdom to come and His will to be done on earth in the visible realm as it is in the invisible realm. Again, if we could peer into those things which we cannot now currently see, it would both frighten us and thrill us. But thankfully, you don't have to see into that realm in order to obey what He says. And in fact, when you obey in faith, you are participating in things much greater than you can imagine with your physical eyes. You you are engaging well past anything that you can see. I mean, yes, you can do good things for people and do them. You worship the Lord here. By all means, do that. It is a good thing, but I'm telling you, it, go, it surpasses anything that you could think of, anything that you can feel when you are worshiping. You are accomplishing more in God's kingdom than you can imagine. But this request for His will to be done on earth as it is in heaven is also a request of submission. Because you're saying what Jesus said, in the garden, not my will, but yours be done. It's a lot easier to pray that He'll do His will other places, with this person or with that person or with this other situation. It's hard when you have a difficult decision on your hands and you know what's right, you know what you should do, but it doesn't feel right. I mean, it, it doesn't complement your flesh. That's hard. C.S. Lewis said in The Great Divorce, there are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done. And those to whom God says in the end, thy will be done. That's the choice. This request... Is our preparation for eternity because whatever you do now will affect your life forever it means though when you pray this I just want to warn you all right it means that God's disrupting grace can come we all love the grace that comes when we're, at a, when, when we're already at a low spot and He brings us up. That's great. When, when, when you're discouraged and He raises you up, we love that. What we don't like is when everything is going quite well, thank you very much, and all of a sudden, He, in a sense, just kind of flips things around. We, Jesus turning over the, 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 the money tables, In the temple is fine him turning over the tables in my in my soul not so fine that's what you're praying here but it's the only way to live this is the path of life and either we we go down this path or we try to set our own you're praying here To God, what I want does not matter. You know what's best, so please establish your will here. And that, brothers and sisters, is how God's kingdom comes. That's why it's the, the first request. It affects everything else that's listed here. Next is the prayer of provision. Give us this day our daily bread. Here we confess that all we have comes from God. And this is hard for us, isn't it? I mean, go to your house. You look in your refrigerator. My guess is it's probably not going to be empty. The pantry's probably not empty. We have stuff. So I'm not saying you have to get rid of everything, get rid of all your food in order to appreciate what he's saying here. But it is, it's our responsibility even more so than it was for the people in this time to, to think and to remember all we have comes from God. It's from the giver of all good things with whom there is no changing. He is the same God that supplied manna for his people for 40 years in the wilderness is the one who put every ham sandwich in your refrigerator as well as the steak that you have because it is father's day of course he gave he gave it all so we look to him and we trust him that that he will supply our needs and it's not just what we need now but we also trust that He'll provide what we need tomorrow. Because you do have things, I guarantee you, you have things that you know are upcoming. You have decisions that are pending. You have problems and you think, I don't know how I'm gonna handle this. I don't know what, if I have enough to take care of this. I, maybe it's a bill, maybe it's a debt, maybe it's I want to go to college, but I don't know where the money's gonna come from. All kinds of things, you fill in the blank. We know still what needs are. God loves us too much than to give us, or than to make us millionaires, so we don't have to trust Him. Way too much. You say, maybe I wish you wouldn't love me quite so much. Our flesh says that, but you don't really mean it. What's it? What? What is it worth if you gain the world and you lose your soul? And then those other words. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Why didn't he just say, please forgive us and stop? Well, that's easy. But here he adds the part that it's a request for God to forgive us according to the same measure that we forgive others. Can you pray that? Sincerely. Can you say, F- God, please forgive everything I've done in the, to the same degree that I've forgiven every person who sinned against me, including so-and-so who I'm, I know that I've forgiven just now. I, I, I know I've forgiven him or her. Can you pray that? I'm not saying this because it's easy. I'm just saying it because it's the path of life. He ends then with saying, do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil or the evil one. This is not a prayer of just escape. It's not, please get me out of this as fast as possible. I mean, look, if you're in the middle of a trial, it's fine to pray, Lord, please teach me what you want me to learn. Quickly. I pray that so if, if, if I'm wrong and you're wrong, we can be wrong together. That, that's okay. But it's not a prayer saying, Take me around all this suffering. Because, on one hand, you, you, you have the, the, these really pitiful guys that are usually in tweed and they got big glasses and they, you know, philosophers and they have carry fat books and they say, Life is suffering. Well, not really. But there is suffering in life. So we can't pretend like others that there's no real pain or suffering if you're a Christian. Because there is. So this prayer goes right between those two ideas. It's a prayer that God will keep us. He'll guard us. He'll preserve us in the midst of those trials and then he will keep us from falling that's really what this is about it's about keeping us from giving up from going over from saying I quit I'm done no more it's a prayer to say give me what I need in this trial bring me through it by your grace And then concluding with, Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. This prayer, like many Psalms, begins with praise and ends with praise. Not just thanksgiving for what He's done, but exalting Him for who He is. Because He is the purpose the life and the strength behind everything that's good in life. Every created thing. Revelation chapter 4 verse 11. He says, Thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure, for God's pleasure, they are created. We were made for pleasure, but God's pleasure yet when you live your life according to God's pleasure you in turn get to participate in the pleasure that is your father's you actually have a a place in that pleasure you can experience pleasure and this is where true pleasure is found because this, the greatest experiences you have in this life right now are just a minuscule representation of what's coming in eternity. Everything that He sends is to bring you to glory. Just like your life began as one created for the purpose of praise and exalting God. Your life will end in praise and exalting God if you submit to Him and walk with Him as you learn to do this now. But then he adds this, this, this little coda. It's not very little at the end. Verse, verses 14 and 15 if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you. Why does he add that part? We're doing just fine till this comes along. Because forgiveness is the key to prayer. i not. Just, I don't just mean your forgiveness. I mean God's forgiveness. If you have been forgiven, and you have, you are then called to display to the world what you've received. Forgiveness of sin opens the door to bring us back to God. It restores our place as God's children. But then it's also how we manifest, how we demonstrate God's love to the world. The mission of Christ is one of reconciliation, of reconciling man to God, of reconciling the world. This is no small mission. This warning helps us see the connection between forgiveness and answered prayer. Refusing to forgive disorders your soul. and deadens your faith. It clouds your walk with God and your walk with others. And it's not just with the person with whom you're angry or you're bitter. It clouds your walk with everybody. Refusing to forgive is like driving to a remote area where there's no cell reception and asking, why isn't anyone calling me? Why can't I call out here? What's the problem? you've isolated yourself. What's the answer? Walk free from your bitterness. And there's grace for that. I'm not saying that that God cannot hear your prayers. If you're, that, that, I'm not saying that. But I'm saying that your soul is not in a place where you can freely, joyfully and and truly give yourself fully to communication and walking with God when you are in a place of bitterness. Hence Jesus' warning. But when you pray this in faith, when you pray this prayer, the Holy Spirit will work. And, And look, this is not just... I'm not saying this is the only thing you should ever pray. All right? This is the springboard of your prayer life no matter how young you are little kids you can pray the Lord's Prayer and he hears it he'll listen and he'll answer but then as you get older you can grow in your prayers because everything that I've said If there's anything that's resonated with you this morning, it is not one hair's breadth of what's actually contained in this. Anything good that you see is just a tiny speck of what's actually available from God's Word to His servants we sadly underestimate, we woefully underestimate the power of prayer in faith. We rest on God's sovereignty. We trust that He will do what He says. But that does not mean that we refuse to pray. How many times do you read in Scripture of someone who says, well, I was going to pray, but then I decided I won't pray because whatever God's going to do, He's going to do. Peter would have died in jail if that had been the attitude of the disciples. James had just been killed. Did that mean that they didn't pray for James? I'm sure they did. But Peter was rescued from multiple soldiers. The situation was so bad that that when he went and knocked at the door, Rhoda said, must have been a ghost, and shut the door on him. Or didn't even answer it. Looks like Peter couldn't be him. That's that's prayer. That's prayer in action. So, So use this as a springboard. Because when you pray it again, he will begin with you. So be prepared. He will begin with you. He may come to you like the, good, like the good Samaritan did, to the man who was wounded, gently tending your wounds. He may come to you like Jesus did in the temple, overturning the, sta- the, the tables and, in, and disturbing the ensconced sin that had taken up residence. He may work gradually and surely, but rest assured that because God is your Father, He will answer. So where do you do the battle Where do you battle the most in this prayer? Do you struggle seeing God as as a good father? This is not something we talk about, but our vision of fatherhood is somewhat damaged today. Nobody has a perfect father. Perhaps you struggle with submitting your will to God's will. Or maybe you're questioning how God will provide for you in a situation where you see no possible answer. Or do you feel like He's leaving you to face your suffering alone? Like Job, you feel like you've just been handed over to the enemy and God is nowhere in sight. Come to God in faith. Begin with this prayer and let it it propel you to a deeper life of prayer. Cast yourself upon the only perfect Father, the one whose arms are never shortened, whose strength never lacks, and whose love never fails. When God's children pray and submit to what God does in and through them as a result, the world is reordered a little at a time. When you see the turmoil of the world around you, or you feel it within yourself, pray as Jesus taught us. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank You for the good gifts that we've received. And now as we proceed to receive the gift of the sacrament of communion, we ask that You would guard us and give us joy as we receive it. Through Christ we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. To find out more, check out our website at trinityreformedkirk.com That's trinityreformedkirk.com